Amen. Good morning. How are you this morning? All right. Those of you that realize that the Super Bowl is not until later in the afternoon, you can gather in the morning. That's good. That's good. I don't know how that makes an impact. Proverbs 23, we've been in this series in, through Proverbs, and what we're talking about is practical wisdom or practical theology, how God calls us to live inside our faith, and so how the gospel transforms us to live like Jesus has called us to live. And we spent really the first month in January working through the ideas of planning through the year, uh, including God and our plans, planning itself, finances, uh, both finances as we approach them from our heart and then finances as we approach them pragmatically. We're going to take a transition today into the second of the three kind of areas that we're looking at in Proverbs. We're going to talk about behaviors today how we can look to, if you will, practically this year, how do we look at our behaviors and how those reflect the gospel? How do we take the things that God may be calling us to change or to live differently? How do we see those through the light or through the lens, excuse me, of Proverbs? And how does God call us to live wisely in the areas of behavior? So for those of you that are note takers, this is in the app, like we said, but <clears throat> excuse me, wisdom guides our behaviors and the freedom God gives us without abusing that freedom, which is sin. Stewardship is wise living. We could probably shorten that sentence and just say stewardship or wisdom is how we guide our behaviors in that freedom. And so inside the gospel, what we're saying is that when God takes root in our life, and so this is aimed at the follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is really how Jesus calls us to be inside the gospel. And so inside the gospel, there is freedom. And that in that freedom, God calls us to follow him and, and implants his Holy Spirit in us that we might be able to follow him. And in following him, he leads us through that place of freedom. And in that, in that place where there's a tendency to abuse freedom, uh, which again, we, we just call sin, God is there with us, calling us, wisely teaching us where we are to be. And, and really the outcome is not just pleasing to God or a better life, but it's really living the way that God has designed us to live. So we're going to look at a short passage in Proverbs 23 this morning and just talk about how our behaviors are really a reflection of our heart. So we pray with me one more time and we will get to scripture. <clears throat> Jesus, for those of us that have gathered here this morning and we have given our lives over to you, you have called us to live the way you created us to live, the way that your gospel has transformed us and allows us to live again. We know that in the gospel, God, that you created us and love us, that we, you called us to be worshipers of yours, and that we've all fallen short of that. So we all stand here this morning equally knowing that we are broken, uh, that we do sin, that we are sinful, uh, that there are parts of our lives that are just never given fully over to you. And that impacts our behavior. And so, Jesus, we know that you entered into human history, that you came and lived the life we're called to live, and you, you did so in our place. And then you would go on to die and trade your death for our sin. That as you rose from the grave, you do so giving us new life. And that as you are seated on the throne today, you implant your Holy Spirit in us, that you fill us with your spirit, with your life, with your breath and that you call us to live like you. And Jesus, probably the greatest part is that you don't, you don't leave us 
to do it in our own strength, but you cause us to walk like you. Our biggest challenge today, Jesus, is just to surrender to you, to learn from you, to listen to you, so that we might live like you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 23, we're going to pick up in the middle, starting at verse 15, and it says, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. So again, as we've said several times throughout this series, Proverbs is written from a father to a son. Solomon is writing this to his son, and he has collected these sayings or truisms called Proverbs. And he's been collecting these and he's handing these off. And we can all imagine like a loving father wants his son or daughter to grow up and and have the best life, the most godly life, or the, the most wise life that they can have. We too have God our Father who has given us wisdom, who has given us this to teach us, to lead us, and to guide us into how we're to live. And in that, you should hear this as a loving father speaking to his children. This is not condemnation. This is a loving father saying, here's how I've called you to live. Solomon says, my son, if, my, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. For those of you that are parents in here, here's, here's what we know as parents. Here's, here's what parents all know. We want the best for our kids, right? Whoever you have, you have sons and daughters, however old they are, it doesn't matter. You want the best for them. And the best for them is God's wisdom, God's design, God's life. And so when they are wise, when their heart is wise, your heart is glad. And that's where really Solomon picks up this conversation today. So verse 15, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Now we hear this father saying, my heart will be glad. I will exult. I will give glory to God. I will worship. When you're wise, I will worship. But notice what he says, when your heart is wise, then your lips will speak what is right. And, and here's what we need to understand as we, as we move into this category of behaviors, is that we don't have behavior problems. Our, our problems stem from inside of us. In fact, Jesus says it this way when speaking about speech. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus has said this long ago, just said, listen, out of the abundance of who we are in our heart... Out of who we are inside, that will come out. And the same thing would be true that our behaviors are dictated by who we are inside. A lot of times we say we don't have behavior problems, we have belief problems. That where we don't believe the gospel, where we don't believe God, where we don't trust in God, we tend to act in a certain way. If we really don't believe that fire will burn us, then we're likely to touch the fire. But once we believe that fire is hot, our behavior will change. And that's what Proverbs is saying in a similar way as to what Jesus says. is Listen, if you want to change the external behaviors that you have, you don't begin by looking at the behaviors. What you do is you begin inside. And then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or for today, out of the overflow of who we are inside, our heart or our mind or our belief or our faith, out of the overflow of that, you will see it in our behaviors. That will dictate how we act. And so a lot of Christianity is trapped in this this view of trying to manage our behaviors. Well, God says to do this and not do this, so I'm going to try my best to adhere to that. And then we may go for a certain amount of time and then 
fail and, and then feel guilt and then feel shame and then feel condemnation and maybe even pull further away from God when really what we need to do is, is figure out what inside of us is driving us to do that. See, the gospel transforms from within. When Jesus takes root in our life, he changes our heart. As you guys all know, I'm not going to put it up today, but that verse that I love so much from the Old Testament in Ezekiel, that God says, I will take the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will cause you to walk in my ways and be careful to obey my commands. I, Jesus says, I will cause that in you. I will change you from the inside. So as we talk about behaviors today, though there are some very practical solutions to behaviors, understand if we don't get at the root cause, the behaviors will, over time, return to being the same thing. Verse 17 says this, let your heart, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. <clears throat> I remember growing up, I, my parents came to faith, or, well, let me, so my parents divorced when I was young, and one side, my dad and my stepmom, that family came to faith when I was about eight years old. Now, I, I didn't see them as regularly. I was kind of that every other weekend kid, and so I got to go to church here and there. Um, and then over time, I was uh, very politely asked to leave the house by my mom and had to go live with my dad for a short time, and that didn't work out either. But in that time... There was this exposure to church. And the only Christians I really knew I was exposed to was my parents. And my dad is pretty rules-driven. And so what I saw from Christianity was a lot of rules, and, and, and really, it seemed like everything that I enjoyed or had fun at, I couldn't do. And so really, I had this perception of Christianity. Now, again, a very skewed and very legalistic and, and rules-driven Christianity, at least from my perspective, and so when I saw that, it wasn't appealing. And I know from outside Christianity, maybe there are things that you as a Christian don't do that your friends do, and maybe it gives that appearance. My exposure was that even if Christianity was true, it didn't look like it was much fun. So my life, obviously, you know how that went. I mean... We've written about it, we've talked about it, we've done all kinds of things, and so really my trying to have fun literally led to addiction and, and jail and prison. I mean, just my life led to a lot of not fun, if you will. And it wasn't until I, 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 would, get I would come back to this, and I would come back to the gospel and really study Jesus in the gospel to figure out it wasn't rules-driven, and that Jesus has my best, in, my, my best life in mind. And that Jesus is really, really desires to give me the life that is joyful and fulfilling and filled with peace. And, and really, once I understood that, my life has been better ever since. And so Solomon now says, don't let your heart envy sinners. When we look at others and they get to do things that maybe you feel convicted not to do, let us not envy what they do. And again, if sin didn't look fun, uh, nobody would ever do it, right? It's not like, you know, we're running after things that are horrible and unfun and whatever else, right? I, again, if sin didn't look appealing, no one would ever do it. But it's that lie that when you get there, that that thing will be more fulfilling than God. And so at the root, the gospel is this, that when we find our fulfillment, when we find our transformation, we find our joy in God, then we find our joy in the life that God has called us to, and that really, we have fulfillment in that. And again, I want to lead, as we talk about behaviors, I want to talk about the freedom that Jesus gives us, 
not the rules that he puts on us because there's a significant difference. Had I understood that maybe many, many years ago, uh, maybe I wouldn't have to go through all the things I went through. But in Christ, I have found immense freedom. But that freedom must come with some boundaries. That there are things that I'm called not to do or not to be. And that's what Solomon in Proverbs is going to speak to today. Verse 18, surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. When Solomon speaks to a future, he's speaking to the life that his son will live. Surely there will be a future. Now, all of us have a future. We don't know how long that's going to be. All of us have a future. But when Solomon is speaking to his son, he's speaking about a, f- a future that his son will enjoy, that a, a life that will be fulfilling to his son. A lot of times we get to church and we, we talk about Jesus or we talk about the gospel. The future we talk about comes some far off time in eternity, maybe after our life is over. And that's not what we're talking about. So Solomon, just like God, our father would say this. There is abundant joy and life found in the gospel. That in Christ we have a future. That in Christ we have found life. And that's where Solomon, obviously a thousand years before Jesus came and entered into human history, but Solomon's speaking about the same things. So when he talks about a future, when he talks about life, he's talking about a here and a now. Finding joy in this life, finding a peace and a faith and fulfillment in this life. Now he says this, hear my son and be wise, verse 19, and direct your heart in the way. So here's what he says, I want you to hear and be wise. We had a conversation in our community group the other night. And however it came up, the example was, now do we want our kids to make their own mistakes and become wise Or do we want to teach them from our mistakes and allow them to learn from our mistakes and our pain? Okay, obviously, it is the, we want them to learn from us. Not just our kids, our friends, our family, anyone who will listen. Hey, don't do this stupid thing I've done, right? And hopefully you can learn. So my life is a great example of lots of what not to do's, right? Hopefully we can all learn that and you don't have to go through the pain that I've gone through. And so that's what Solomon is saying. He says, hear and be wise. In other words, wisdom doesn't always mean if you burn your hand enough times, you'll learn that fire is hot. You can learn by listening. What has to happen here is you have to become humble. Right? Students, kids in here that have parents, you have to become humble and listen to your parents. Adults, you have to become humble and allow others to speak into your life. Wisdom is found in a lot of places, in a lot of people, not necessarily by age group. But in order to learn from another, we have to lower ourselves, humble ourselves, and be willing to learn. So he says, hear my son and be wise. Direct your heart. Never forget. Again, Solomon will not let us forget today that we have a heart problem, not just behavior problems. So before he gets into any behaviors, he is talking about our heart. Not to forget the fear of the Lord. Not not to forget that it's an internal problem, not an external problem. And so he says, direct your heart in the way. Now, the way, as is used often in the New Testament too, is, is kind of short form for how Jesus has called us to live in the New Testament or how God has called us to live throughout Scripture. And so living in the way... 
Uh, in fact, that's what Christians were first called, just followers of the way. Uh, and it was those who would follow Jesus and live like Jesus. So it's calling us to a lifestyle, a lifestyle of faith that impacts behaviors. But he says, listen, listen and be wise. Check your heart and live the way God has called you to live. Verse 20, he says, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to get really practical. He's going to call out some, what we just call lifestyle sins, things that tend to dominate lives. So he says this, be not among drunkards or gluttonous eaters of meat. Now, when he says be not among, he's being, he means don't be one of them, not don't be around them. Now, there's, let me just kind of put a pin in that. Let me, there's a caveat here. So if you're an alcoholic or you're struggling to quit drinking or if you're food addiction or you have some kind of... Uh, you have some kind of issue that calls you to not be around that so that you can change in that area. That's one thing, right? What it's not saying is remove yourself from people who do it as a rule. Now, now here's why this is so important, because if you struggle, let's just use alcoholism. If you struggle with alcohol, should you be going to a bar? Probably not until you've got some sobriety under your belt, right? Now, beyond that, should you never be around people who drink? Who's going to tell them about Jesus would be my question. Right? And, and that doesn't mean that you have to participate. It doesn't mean that you should. If you've, and if you've got a problem with alcohol, there are folks in here that should never, ever, ever drink again. Now, that's not because the Bible makes that rule, because the Bible doesn't. But it would say this, if that's you, don't. But then... Who's going to be around those folks that have that same struggle? Who's going to be around them to teach them that there is an alternative? That there is a way to live? That there is a way to come out of that? And so I've allowed my story. For, there was a season of time where I just couldn't be around certain people, around certain areas or neighborhoods. And there was just a time where I needed to separate myself from who I had been and, and who I was trying to become. Well, that, that time has gone now, and now I'm able to get back into some of those settings, or at least with some of those people, not necessarily in some of those settings, but with some of those people, and now bring Christ into their lives, or at least share Jesus with them. And in some cases, they've been receptive, and in other cases, we'll wait and see. So we're not asking that you never are around people that live outside of God's framework for life but that you wouldn't, put, you wouldn't be that. So do not be among, like don't be numbered among, or don't be one of, don't be a drunkard or glutton. Now drinking, drunkenness is this. The Bible obviously shows drinking in some context that it accepts and it has a, a, a recurring call to not being drunk. And so, listen, uh, there's probably some need for clarity. Sorry, for whatever reason, my mouth is really dry. So drunkenness does not just mean fall down, stupid, drunk, like shouldn't be driving, whatever. But there are people that drink too much, meaning too, too much volume, too frequently. There are people that drink for wrong reasons, like that's their way of escape or that's their way to numb themselves. All those are issues, right? A way to find peace, a way to find comfort really should be found in Christ. Your escape ought to be God, right? And so there are a lot of ways to view drinking 
and in, in ways that are not what God calls us to. Glutton. This is obviously written 3,000 years ago before America was a thing and, and uh, a nation in need of, of kind of changing its dietary habits, right? So this is one of those things that really gets swept under the carpet. People talk about drunkenness or sexual sin or they'll talk about all kinds of things, but eating disorders only tend to mean one or two things when there's a lot of them. But if you eat too much, if you eat to escape, if you eat to find comfort, maybe this is speaking to you too. And so just think like addictive lifestyles, lifestyles that are, that are driven by something other than God. Behaviors that show a life that has something driving it other than God. So here's what he's saying. Be not among drunkards or gluttonous eaters of meat. We're going to call that life-dominating sin. So those of you who are note-takers, Drunkenness and gluttony are sins of addiction and cause us to give our lives to something other than Jesus. They tend to be escapes that pull us away from the presence of God. Anything that you need or you find this is your escape uh, ought to throw up a red flag at some level. And that doesn't, and again, now, we all need to eat, right? We've all got to be there. And we're going to find that some of these behaviors that, in fact, all of the behaviors that Solomon talks about today are things that can be done both rightly and wrongly. And so what that does is it really, it gives us some freedom, but it also cautions us with some boundaries. So if you have an addictive pattern, what is that, what's driving that? How would the gospel apply to that setting in your life? Verse 21, it says, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. The outcome of addictive lifestyles is never good, right? Workaholics, also an addictive lifestyle that has deep impacts on family and children, marriages. And so it doesn't matter what it is, but when you live in a, in a, in a lifestyle of an addiction or a lifestyle sense, something that is, that is dominating to your life, you will see the outcomes are never good. But no matter what it is, you can insert things in here that are not just the ones listed. But it says the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. When, when something is driving your life, like you've got to satisfy this need, like an addiction, you're trying to satisfy that desire. And what you find out is, and this is what everybody who's ever done drugs realizes, is that there is this thing that you're constantly chasing that you'll never get. And that's why people overdose and that's why people continue in addiction. And food can never satisfy that. Drinking can never satisfy that. It will never be satisfied because you can only find that kind of satisfaction in Christ. You can only have one God. That will either be Jesus or something else. And that something else will never satisfy you. It can be academics. It can be work. It can be income. It can be a marriage, a family. And that, that driven need, it will never satisfy you because you've got, as is probably way too bumper stickerish for me, but you've got a God-shaped void in your life. And you try and cram other things in it, but it's made to have God fill it. 
And until you do that, you'll never find that satisfaction. Verse 22, it says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, this isn't written necessarily to any one age demographic. And so if you're in here and you're a student and your parents are here with you and you, you need to hear this, it says this, listen to your father who gave you life and not to, do not despise your mother when she is old. And so, yeah, that applies to you as a child, but it also applies to you as you grow up. Remember the people that cared for you and raised you. I come from a really broken and messy family. And it's a struggle to figure out how, how do I do that? How do I create a relationship with a father that I've never been super close to? Where, how can I honor him? Where, what, what am I supposed to be there? My mom has always loved me, and, and, but we've never, it's never been right at that home either. And so as, as we do this, I've got to understand this is for me too. That we are to honor our parents, as the fifth commandment would tell us, that our life would be good, that we would find life. And, and it really, what they're saying here is, is don't forget whether you're young and you live with your parents or you're older and, and uh, you don't live with your parents, maybe your parents have passed, that those who gave you life, those who gave their lives for you, and I know we don't all come from perfect families, but they are due your honor and your respect. Especially those who did their best, like my mom and a, and a single parent family for a while, uh, just grinding it out, trying to make everything so I didn't even realize there was any difference. To married settings, to whatever yours is, honor your father and your mother as God would call you to honor them. Verse 23 says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. I want you to hear this as, as the value given to truth and wisdom and understanding. It says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. It's giving that weight to it or giving that value to it, like the things in our culture, like gold or you know, silver or diamonds or whatever, like buy that and do not sell it. Like this should be your greatest treasure, should be wisdom. I asked a question early in this series about a month ago. I asked the question like... Now, many of you have set financial goals or health goals or whatever, relationship goals. Have you set wisdom goals? Have you set learning goals? Have you set in place for 2018 how you want to grow in your understanding of your faith and wisdom? And Solomon is going to come back to this point over and over again. Buy wisdom and do not sell. Keep this. Hang on to this. Don't get rid of this. This is more precious than anything else. Psalm will keep calling us back to God's wisdom. Verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad, yet let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So he says again and again how, how glad or how proud or how joyful a godly and wise child is to their parents. But he says this, verse 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So in a, in a perfect world, which we don't have, or in a perfect family, which none of us are, where would our children learn wisdom from? From their parents, Right? 
We've had college students and churches, Lisa and I have had, that they've ended up living with us, that we've, nobody ever taught them simple things, like how to open a checking account or how to balance the checkbook when they do. Like they had parents, but wisdom wasn't flowing from parent to child. And I don't know all the settings that they lived in, and I'm not here to, to cast blame on anyone, but really in a, in a family unit, the way God has created it, that wisdom f- should flow from the parents to their children. But we know that we live in an imperfect world. We know that we don't all have perfect families. Much of this, I didn't get to learn from my families either, not because they didn't have it, but because I was estranged from them. And so wisdom didn't flow from them to me. I made all my mistakes, and it wasn't until years later that I would have to humble myself and learn things that many teenagers in here know, and I had to learn them in my 30s. Wisdom should flow through the family, but when, in, when that is not intact, the church ought to step up and become that family to a son or a daughter, or a, a, you know, a, a single man or a, a single woman or one who's lost their spouse or, or whatever the setting might be, that the church should come around and become that witness That means, really, the onus is on us to live out our faith, to live in wisdom, to live lives transformed by the gospel, to live lives that clearly put the gospel first and everything else secondary to Jesus. That we should be a place where people can gain wisdom. And that's why we do things like the Ulits are leading through uh, financial peace, that we do those classes, and anybody is welcome to come. It's a nine-week course. You don't have to be a Christian. It's clearly going to teach wisdom from the Bible, but anybody can come. Work is worship is coming up. We're going to do some relational things, some parenting things. We're going to do all kinds of things. Anybody is welcome. We should be a place where people can come and they can hear God's wisdom, and they can choose how they apply it to their lives or not. That's on them. But we should be that place. And in the families in our church that are missing parents or, or missing, we should surround them. That we should be that place. We should, we should take ownership of those kids who need a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a family, whatever it would be, a grandparent. That we should own that and take that seriously. Verse 27 says, For a prostitute is a deep pit, and adulteress is a narrow well. So we've gone from... Uh, drunkenness and gluttony, and it's adding sexual sin in, in all its forms. And this was, again, this is before, there's, no, there's nothing really new in the world. Uh, same sins were taking place back in Solomon's day 3,000 years ago, but clearly in the three, last 3,000 years, we've created new ways to do them, right? Porn is now one of the largest industries in the world. What? They still have the same sins here, they just did them differently. But running rampant through our culture is the idea of sexual sin. And I, I mean our, our, our culture in the church. And we're starting to see it more and more. It's starting to be more and more uh, both genders are, are complicit uh, in different ways, but still uh, engaging there. And this is as common, sadly, in the church as it is outside the church. There is no significant statistical difference between men and pornography in the church and men and pornography outside the church, sadly. There's no significant difference between women who are engaged in relationships, be them physical or otherwise, that are inappropriate in the church than are those women outside the church doing the same thing. That ought to scare us at least awake for a minute. That this hits all of us equally. 
And that somehow the church has not done a very good job at this. And again, I'll take you back to this, where Solomon always goes is the heart. He doesn't go to the behaviors. And yes, there's some behaviors you need to modify, but you need to figure out in your heart where you've gone astray and, and submit that to Jesus, to give that part over to Jesus, to know that those sins Jesus died for also, those sins Jesus overcame when he rose from the dead, that all of that is yours, that all of that is found in Christ. But wherever it is, when we try and manage the steps from the outside in, we are going to fall short sooner or later. We have to figure out what's broken inside of us. In fact, if your community group is clicking along and you guys have developed some good relationships, it's a great place to get really honest. And your community groups or maybe in a discipleship group or one of the groups that we have here that you can, you can share these things with someone here in this church that they would walk with you, that they would pray with you, that they would meet with you. Verse 28, she, meaning sexual sin, lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Mankind meaning both men and women. I just want you to hear the danger it speaks to. Verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, who go to try mixed wine. It continues to speak to the outcomes of lives that are dominated by specific behaviors. Whether that be, again, the three that they've named or other. Verse 31, do not look at wine when it's red and sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings, stings like an adder, like a snake. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. So again... It talks about alcohol, sexual sin, food. And they're pretty self-evident. We all know lives that are wrecked by these things. If they're not our own lives, we know someone struggling with those. I wish I had looked now, but the issue of eating disorders in our country is pretty statistically huge as well. Sexual sin is, is crazy high. Drunkenness or any kind of other addiction, drug addiction, even now, prescription drug addiction has just skyrocketed. What we have is a nation turning to things other than God to find comfort, to find joy. And what we end up is finding addiction. We end up finding an empty pit that just kind of sucks our life and our relationships and our faith away. And Solomon would just remind us over and over again that those things can never take the place of Jesus that those things will never satisfy. Those things can never be the thing you turn to when you're in need. Verse 34 says this. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Yeah. I've watched, and I think this is part of getting older, I think this is probably a bit of maturity and a bit just getting older. But I'd be able to watch as people glorify their things that are doing, that people, I just think, you know, spring break's not too far away, right? And, the, and the, the videos that will be posted of people and what they're doing over spring break, again, I, maybe it's just getting older. But I watch as they brag about and as they fall down. And from the outside, you're like, wow, you just look, stupid. 
But more than that, I think, I've, I think we've seen, we all see stupid, but I think more than that, I just, I start to, my heart breaks. That you would find that this is, this is you, this is having fun, I think. That this is you at your best, that this is you, how you celebrate a hard work week, or this is you. And this is the you you put on social media for everyone to see, and you can't string a sentence together or pronounce words or stand upright. And what follows that is the consistent rapes and all the things that happen in those settings. Violence. Like the passage says, they beat me, and then when I woke up, I looked for another drink. Like the very thing that gets you to that place where everything goes so south, immediately when you wake up, you want to go right back there. And I say that, and I say that knowing that was me. That I literally, I came to faith in a jail cell on my way back to prison. So I'm not saying this from any place of kind of arrogance or having it together, knowing that's my story. And knowing that's why I was at my bottom. And so I say this, again, with love. That when you look and you try and seek anything else to be fulfilling that is not Jesus, it ends in a hole. And your hole may not be as deep as mine, or maybe my hole wasn't as deep as the one you got into. We're really not here to compare. But just to say that in the end, they all end in death. They never end in joy. They never end in fulfillment. They never end in a good marriage. They never end in a place like Jesus has created us for. They can through the gospel. But left to ourselves, it will end in death. Jesus says this in John 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, so the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I want you to see these two contrasting ideas of freedom and slavery. And inside the gospel, a lot of times, again, my mistake was that the, inside the gospel, that all I was going to get was a bunch of rules. And really what I found is freedom. Jesus says, in the truth, you will be set free. But when you continue down that road, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I found my slavery inside my sin. In pursuing the thing I thought was freer, I found I had become a slave. And then in coming back to the very thing I thought looked like a whole bunch of rules to me when I was a kid, I found freedom. There's this idea of freedom with boundaries. Like that our eyes would be set on Jesus, not where we can or can't or what we are or aren't supposed to do. That our eyes would be fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and that we would aim for Jesus. And in that, I found immense freedom. And in that, we have many of us, all of us probably, all of us that are walking with Jesus have found some kind of freedom over something. That Jesus has broken through the pain of those other things. So I want to finish off with a, a quick set of notes. I'm going to go fast. You don't have to write them all down. They're all in the app. If not, we can get them to you. Can I have the next slide, Sarah? Thank you. Freedom and boundaries. Jesus gives us freedom and boundaries. Freedom not to make rules and laws that govern us, but instead the Holy Spirit who teaches us boundaries from becoming slaves to our human desires. 
that we don't have to like govern ourselves and manage our salvation or our life by a bunch of rules that God didn't make. Look, there's enough where God says, just don't do this. But more importantly, that God would put his spirit inside of us and lead us. Proverbs 28 says it like this, when a land transgressed, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will, be long, will long continue. It isn't the laws that keep a nation. It isn't the laws that keep a community. It isn't the laws that keep a people, but understanding or wisdom or living the way God calls us. Next slide. Rebuke for, for ignoring boundaries. Proverbs says this in a, very, in a verse, I think, right after that one. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If you're a Christian and you like to pray, let that sink in for a minute. If one turns away his ear from hearing God, even his prayer is an abomination. Next slide, Sarah. Drunkenness. Wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Next slide. Gluttony. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Next slide. He who commits adultery or any kind of sexual sin lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Lacking self-control. So here's some solutions. So there's a lot of Wisdom saying, listen, this is a bad idea. This, is, this will wreck your life. But again, Proverbs also leads us in the right way as well. So lacking self-control, the pro, uh, let's back up. Yeah, lacking self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So that's the last one of the negative side. If we were the next one. The prophet of discipline. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I didn't write it. We'll just leave it at that. All right, next one. Multiple responses. Now, we all need repentance for sin, repentance for legalism, repentance for not living according to the Holy Spirit. We all, we should have multiple responses today. I forget what we were talking about in community group, uh, but somehow there was like, like we all fit in these multiple categories. Uh, it wasn't this, but it reminded me of like the four soils that Jesus tells in a parable. There's hard ground and rocky soil and soil with a bunch of weeds in it and then there's good ground. And I, we're never just one of those. We're all, all of our life has pockets where we're good soil and pockets where we're really hard soil and pockets where there's rocks in there that need to be pulled out and rocks in there. You, just, you get the idea. That in all these times, there are places in us right now where probably we're really drawing near to God and there are places where we're withholding. There are parts of our life that we kind of hold back at times. And so for me, what I just wanted to close with today is because we've been a bit all over the place with behavioral things rather than just one thing. I think we have probably a lot of responses today. Maybe we need to repent in those areas that we have just given over to something other than Jesus. Maybe we just need to submit something that we've not given to God at all. Maybe there are places in our life where things are really good and we need to press into that. And maybe there are places we've just not been honest with those around us that we just need to open our lives up in a safe place where we can share and talk in a godly place where we can open the word together and really get after the things in our life that hold us back from Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you lived this life. And that as we talk about it, it's not like you're absent from understanding this. 
But Jesus, you came and you entered into this world and you lived like we live. And you experienced the things we have been through. But Jesus, you did them without falling short. Jesus, you came and entered into our world and lived the way we are created to live. And Jesus, you did so that you could not only show us, but also that you could transform us. That by the power of your victory, we live in you. That your death covers our sin, that your life raises us to new life. That your spirit leads us and guides us, and that no matter where we are, we have you. I pray for those who are struggling with specific addictions today. I have a life that was hallmarked by that. I know the death of an addiction. And I just pray that you would break through that today. God, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever it is, will you come and will you give us the freedom you promise 